You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. I remember I was at a week at camp, and uh, I didn't know what was coming next because I wasn't in charge of the camp. I was in Bible college at the time. And the gentleman said to me, we're going to go out to the campfire and tell ghost stories. Well, I was a little freaked out because I was like, are you sure this is a good idea? Like... I know I'm not in charge and all, but is this wise? It's roughly 1997 or so. Yes, I was alive then, and uh, I was in college. I know, it'll blow some of you away, right? And uh, I remember then, he said, no, 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 it'll be okay. It'll be a Holy Ghost story, which is like a cheesy joke that a Christian would make. And so if some of you are visiting with us today, you're like, I've heard those cheesy jokes. We're good at those. We are. We're welcome to the club. Maybe someday you'll tell cheesy jokes as good as we do. But... He went out that night at the campfire, and campfire, if you've never been to church camp, is a, is a moving target. You never know at which camp, depending on who the leader is, which camp, which part of the country you're in, what you're going to get. And so sometimes it's testimony night, or sometimes it's people sharing struggles, sometimes it's just fun and, you know, whatever, light stuff. Sometimes it's like a lot of singing and music. And this particular night, this guy got up, and he wasn't a very good speaker, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, this could be like a boring end of the camp. And so the guy gets up, though, and he kind of starts rambling for a little bit, like I'm doing right now. And then about five minutes in... He starts telling some stories. See, it was about a year or so before, actually, I was in school at Cincinnati, that there was a flood in the Ohio River. And uh, I don't know a lot about floods, so anything I say that's wrong, just give me grace here. Um, but I know this, like some of the people from the college went down to like the Ohio River where like the, the stadium is in Cincinnati, and like the waters were coming up onto, I think it was Pete Rose Way or Avenue, whatever it was called. Like that's how far up the river was flooding. Well, in a, in a downtown, it can be bad, but it's the way Cincinnati was structured, it wasn't too bad. But if you go a little further down the river, especially to like northern Kentucky, it's really bad. And so there are homes that people live all along the river. When the river floods, it comes up, it disrupts things. Well, when rivers flood, not only does it displace homes, but it comes rather quickly as it comes down the river. There's not a lot of warning. There's more today with cell phones and other things than there was a few years ago. And uh, man, the older I get, the more I say, when I was a kid. Uh, okay, anyway. So uh, what happens is the floods come in and it can often disrupt the sewage system. And so all that water and all that muck and everything inside a sewer comes up into your home. It can leave mold and mildew and stuff. Yeah, we'll leave it at stuff, right? You get the picture. Thank you. Somebody's like, please don't say it. Stuff all over your house. And so this particular church, as he's telling this Holy Ghost story, um, it just so happened that like they got together and the elders and the staff got together and said, you know, what are we going to do? We need to help people. And they just said, you know, let's pray and see if, if God wants to use us in some way. So they prayed about it. And like very, very shortly after their prayer, people started showing up at their building. They didn't tell anybody that they were available. They didn't tell anybody they were opening the doors. They just started praying and God started showing up, started sending people to them. Well, suddenly their entire building is full, like hallways and classrooms and rooms, like they were just full of people showing up that just had a need. And so all of a sudden they like, drained their entire like little kitchen area back of the back where they had some food, like it's empty. Well, part of the other problem, the entire community gets hit with a flood, like things just start closing down and shutting down. Everybody's trying to get out of town. There wasn't access to resources. Major roads were cut off. You couldn't get to and from places. And so people are showing up and they needed to feed them, but they didn't know how to feed them. And so the elders, staff got together again and they just started praying and said, God, we need you to, like, you brought us these people, we prayed, okay, now, now you gotta do something. And they said it was crazy, like, time after time after time. Like, literally, a truck shows up with food and was like, hey, we heard you might need this. They didn't call anybody, they didn't put the word out. A truck shows up, but it's got, like, milk. And they're like, we didn't call anybody, we didn't tell anybody, they just showed up. I'll never forget a few of the most impactful stories where they started getting volunteers from their church, nurses and 
and, and doctors who would kind of show up. They would work all day if they were at their, the hospital where it was open, but then they would come in at night and they would work all night taking care of these people who were sick and had issues. You know, if people are pregnant and they got nowhere to go, they still have babies and all kinds of crazy stuff that's happening. And um, as they're showing up, like what, after multiple days of road of people just working around the clock, they were getting really, really tired, going days and days and days without sleep. And so they got to just say, God, we need your just help. We, got, we need, our people need a break and we don't know what to do. And like people just started showing up who didn't even go to their church. They never put the word out. Medical professionals started showing up saying, hey, can we help? Like people literally would get canceled at their shift, like would get canceled. They'd say, well, I was already planning on working anyway. I'll just go and work there instead. It's just the crazy stuff that God would do. But I remember these two particular stories. He said, and I'm convinced we met an angel in the middle of this. And here's why. And I don't know what to do with this story. Like, I wasn't there. I'd love to, to be there and talk to more people. But he said this. He said, at one point, as things kind of started calming down and people started moving back into their homes a little bit more, uh, they started putting together like a, a bus food kind of system where they would take like their church vans and vehicles and they'd load them up with food that they'd gather together and people donated to the church and they'd drive it out to people's homes to try to help people get reestablished, get food to people who couldn't get out or kind of stranded or stuck or whatever. And, um, and I don't understand all the details on that, but at some point, the... the van had broken and it was like wasn't working anymore but they've got to get this food to people and it's going to spoil and go bad and all this stuff and they just started praying again and this guy shows up out of nowhere and he said hey I'm a, I'm a mechanic do you need anything and he said they were like you're never going to believe this uh our bus or van just broke so he went out and fixed it and um the guy's telling the storm said like this is crazy all this stuff happening and he said here's what's crazy the guy finished he never said goodbye or anything he just left and he said, nobody in the community recognized him. Nobody in the church had ever heard of him. We'd spread the word out, try to say thank you and appreciate the guy. No one knows who it was. And you would think like if you showed up at a church and fixed something, you might tell a couple of your family members, dude, I just got to help this church. They're doing some great things. And oh, by the way, I helped fix their vehicle. Nothing. He said, I'm convinced we met an angel that day, that God sent somebody, fixed it, and they left. But my favorite story of all of them, and, and it's like, it's one of those stories you hear about, you go, gosh, is that true? And here's the thing. Anytime you hear an answer to prayer that's really profound, that really requires miracle, the thing is, it takes faith. And here in America, where we believe in science and proving everything, even things we can't prove, we come up with theories that we hold on to, whether there is or isn't enough evidence for them, we just say, this must be what it is. And we do that all the time with God and prayer. And because of that, it gets in the way of our prayer life. This story I'll never forget. So as word got out, again, there weren't really cell phones like there are today back then. I know that's hard for some of you younger people to remember. These weren't as crazy popular, as awesome as they are today. And so word would get out by news or by radio, usually sometimes people knocking on your door telling you people had house phones, but that would require other people in the middle of the flood to call you and tell you, get out of here. And I don't remember the specifics now, but the flood water was coming, I can't remember, it was like a foot every, I can't remember, it was like 20 minutes or something, what it was. I mean, like enough that it only takes a couple feet of water to move a car. So if that gives you an idea how quickly the water is coming, you need to go and need to go now. No time to grab anything, no time to pack up. And I just remember this, this mom, husband was off at work and she loaded her, I think it was her son in the car, and they got in the car, started driving down the road, and the sun's kind of melting down. It's like, mom, 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 I forgot my Bible inside. Remember, it was the one that grandma got me in, and all the story behind it, whatever it was. And she's like, son, we do not have time to go back in and grab your Bible. Mom, 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 it's my favorite Bible. Please, please, please go get it. And probably to placate her son, probably to get him to calm down, she said, let's just pray about it as she's pulling out and trying to hurry up. You know, God, protect his Bible and go. So when the floodwaters recede, people come in, and everything is just disrupted. I mean, there's Papers everywhere, furniture everywhere, stuff all over the walls. Countertops are covered in stuff. 
But there's that a Bible, untouched by the water. It was such an impactful story that as this lady told it, uh, it was one of those, I don't know how to explain it. I only know that it was there. And see, some of us, we hear those kinds of stories, we go, I bet there was some explanation. If you were in there and you had a camera in there, maybe you would see, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just know that a little boy prayed and God provided. You're like, but it's a Bible. It didn't even save anybody's life. Yeah, but I've been telling this story on and off now for 20 years since I heard it. And it's amazing how it just keeps encouraging people. Because see, that's what prayer does. When we pray and God moves and we tell the God stories of answered prayer, it is one of the, if not the, most impactful part of God prayers. See, God delights in showing off. He does. God likes to put his power on display through you and through me. I remember Francis Chan telling multiple stories. So those of you know Francis, he's a pastor in California. One of the major ways that he shares his faith with people of other religions is he simply asks them, do you pray? Can you tell me miraculous stories about how when God has answered prayer? And then he tells crazy stories about what God has done in his life and things he's seen God do in other people's lives. And that's part of the testimony that we all get to share as believers in Jesus Christ. God promises, I will show up and I will take care of you and I will move through your prayers. And if you don't have a God story to tell, maybe it's because you're not praying God prayers. So we've been in this prayer series. In case you're visiting Kingsway, we want to welcome you. We're glad you're here with us. If you're watching online live right now, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're watching this later on, months or years down the road, hope this is a blessing. You might want to go back and start at the beginning and work your way to this message, but go ahead and finish while you're here. So we've been in a prayer series where I laid out a prayer challenge, and here was the prayer challenge. Basically, it was this. For 30 days, we're going to pray every day. We're going to begin with prayer. We're going to end with prayer. Then I added these two little pieces. We're going to intercede for others we're meaning we're going to pray for them. So if there's a Christian maybe who's hurting or depressed or has fallen away, fallen into sin, we're going to pray that God would move on their behalf. And then if you know somebody who's far from God, who's never committed their life to Jesus Christ, they may be the, the goodest, bestest person in the world, but they don't love Jesus, you're going to intercede for them before God, that God would help them to meet Jesus. And uh, then last week we prayed, we prayed this prayer right out of Luke chapter 10 where God said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field. And we as an entire church prayed. And I told you last week, we needed 40 kids ministry volunteers, 40 kids ministry volunteers. And we were at critical levels. If we didn't get 40 kids ministry volunteers, really by this past week, we were gonna actually have to shut down classes just to make it happen. So do you wanna know how your prayers went? I'll tell you by the end of the service. Okay, so... I won't do that to you. So realize some people wrote in and some of them were teenagers, which is great. We want our teens serving in our kids, but we didn't need any more teens, meaning it's great. We'll find a way for you to serve, but that wasn't gonna scratch the den of the 40. Some people wrote in and said, I really wanna serve. Uh, in fact, I met a, a family right after the service. Um, I ran by McDonald's to get drinks for my families. And she said, we, you know, we've been at Kingsway for roughly seven months now. I'm kind of sitting on the sideline watching church happen and God really used your sermon to kick me and my family in the pants and say, hey, it's time to get plugged in. So we're gonna, we're gonna do it. And I said, great, that's awesome. So there were some people though who did that who went, man, I really, I really wanna find my place and what God has called me to do, but I hate kids. So please... <laughs> Please use me, but not in kids. Nobody actually said they hate kids, <laughs> except for every parent in the room. So, um, <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. So, now you're like, just say it already. I know, I know. Now, here's the thing. I got to put a caveat, right? Like, all of these people signed up, but 
We don't have them finalized yet, so we're getting background checks, we're making sure they're safe, we're running up through our security checks, we're training them. It's possible some of them don't work out, some of them don't check out. And the reason I say that is we needed 40, but as of like Friday, we got 53 people to sign up. <laughs> Woo! Now, from my chair, and literally where I sit overlooking all of Kingsway things. So from my chair, we've been asking for months. We've even had like a whole month of party celebration. For those who've been here, like going back, I think it was April, May, and our kids ministry out here made it a blast. And we're giving away suckers and gumballs and all kinds of stuff, you imagine. And we did all those things, and we weren't scratching the surface. We weren't making a dent. Last week, we gathered together as a church, and we prayed, and 53 of you responded. 53 of you responded. Thank you, first of all. But second of all, praise God. So here's what happened last week. We looked at the text where Jesus sends out 72 disciples and he says, take nothing with you. No clothes, no bag, no food, nothing. God will provide and he'll use you. So go. Now at the end of Luke chapter 10, here's what happens when they all gather back together. Verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I, this is Jesus replying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is important. I'm going to tell you why in just a second, but here's why. Jesus sends out the 72. They do the exact same things they saw Jesus doing. Are you getting it? So the disciples served in the same way they saw Jesus serving, and Jesus' power and authority was in them. It wasn't about could they conjure up good ideas. It wasn't about sitting together and strategizing, hey, let's go in this town and do this thing. It was all about the Spirit of God moving in them to get it done, and it worked, and they were effective, and they came back. And this whole thing about snakes and scorpions, like Yesterday, I went with my son down to a park on the south side, and we're riding bikes, and he's in front, and all of a sudden, he slams on his brakes, so I slam on mine so I don't crash into him. I'm like, buddy, you okay? And he goes, snake. Now, this is my son, my oldest son, who loves all things outdoors. Most of his life, his fingers and fingernails are covered in dirt, which he reminds me on a regular basis as worm poo, and he thinks it's awesome. That just gives you an idea of my son. He loves all things bugs. We're all like, as a kid, we're like, hey, don't touch that spider. I don't want it to bite you. And he's like got spiders crawling all over his hand. He's like, but dad, it's cool. He walks over and he gets six inches away from that bad boy and he's about to grab it. I go, wait, just let dad Google whether it's poisonous or not. Because if I don't come home with you, mom won't be happy with me. Like, no offense to you, don't care. You're kidding. <laughs> Joking. And he says... Dad, I can do this. I'm like, just, you've never picked one up. Do you know how to pick one up? You just grab it. No, you gotta grab it by the head. You gotta pinch in the right spot. If you grab too far back, it'll run, go around and bite you. And like, I've seen this, I actually watched this in front of you once, but you were too young to remember this happened to another guy. Like, you gotta be careful. Just let me Google it. He like, keeps trying to go for it, get real close. I'm like, just stop for a second. And then he looks at me and he says, well, Dad, I believe in you. You could do it. Thankfully, the snake shortly thereafter went into the weeds. So, <laughs> I'm off the hook. Here's the point. Jesus was not telling them, if you believe in Jesus and you're out in the park and you try to grab a spider and it's venomous and it bites you, you'll be okay. That's not what Jesus is saying. Snakes from Genesis all the way to Revelation refer specifically to the work of demonic beings, demonic spirits. Now, I realize many of you in America, maybe you're watching online or in here today, 
You don't believe in demons. You think all that spiritual mumbo jumbo, everything is scientific, it could be proven in a lab. And I'll just ask you to consider for just a moment that everything can't be proven in a lab. That there are things that happen in this world that we cannot fully explain, we do not fully understand, the least of which is this. Why is there so much evil in the world? And if you don't believe there's so much evil in the world, then why do every single one of us have locks on our doors and our car doors? Why do we get gun training or carry knives if you're that type of person? Because we know there's something evil in this world. And it's not just explainable by people. And we know that. And what Jesus is telling the disciples is you will have all the power in you necessary to do the work that God is calling you to do in the spiritual world. We fight spiritual wars with spiritual weapons. And God has given you every weapon you need. Are you with me? But then Jesus does this powerful thing. Notice what happens next. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, and what he's doing right now is he's stopping to give God praise. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So what we want to do is just stop real quick and give God glory for answering our prayer last week. Let's do what Jesus did. Father God, thank you. Lord, you know we were praying, a lot of us praying, and um, Lord, we've been, we've been kind of asking for a long time, but last week we stopped and made an intentional ask here for you to move in the hearts of people. And Father, I pray that would, movement wouldn't stop. God, I would, I would love to see another two, 300 people say, you know what, help me find my place. I wanna serve my king with all that I have. And God, we know life is about seasons and we serve in different ways at different times depending on what you need and what you're doing in us and around us. So Father, I pray for anybody feeling guilt-tripped into serving that they would just take a deep breath and have no guilt whatsoever. But instead, Father, everybody feeling convicted and moved and stirred by your spirit would respond in kind. And Father, we thank you. Thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for moving in hearts. We ask all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. I need to say real quick, if you do want to serve, you haven't plugged in. Maybe last week you're like, I need to do that. Then you didn't, and you're like, oh, they don't need me anymore. Not true. However, if you do want to respond, just text serve to 317-565-4911. I feel like a car salesman every time, but text serve to 317-565-4911. If you can't remember it, just go to our website. You can look it up. Or you could text serve to. Okay, moving on. So, with our remaining time today, what I want to do real quick, <clears throat> I want to show you the power of prayer when God's people pray. There are a ton of stories. I could take you to the Old Testament and show you God parting the Red Sea. I could take you to the Old Testament and show you uh, Elijah literally praying for it to stop raining, and it doesn't rain for three, I think it's three and a half years, it doesn't rain. Then he prays again, and it starts raining. I could show you how people prayed, and the sun stood still. I could show you how... Uh, People pray and leprosy is healed. I could show you over and over and over again, but I'm just gonna pick one story because it's the prayer of the church in the midst of their doubts, and yet God shows up. We're gonna go to the book of Acts, chapter 12. Book of Acts, chapter 12. And I'll give you a very brief setup. You don't need much setup because the text takes care of itself. In Acts, chapter 12, we see... Uh, Basically, at this point, Jesus has died on a cross, and he's rose from the dead, and now what he did in the disciples in Luke 10, he's doing in the entire church, you and me. And he's saying, you have my spirit in you, now go to the ends of the earth and be my witnesses, that's the word martyr, actually, be my witnesses, my proclaimers of the fact that I am not dead, but I am alive. I conquered death, so now you have no fears, believer. So then what happens is, we get to Acts chapter 12, and it's bad. Like, Christians are being arrested and thrown in prison. Many of them are being killed for their faith. In fact, we get to Acts chapter 12, 
verse one, and it says this. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So that is norm for that time. In fact, it goes on, verse two, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now this is really, really important because this is the James. There's lots of James in the Bible. There's James, the son of Alphaeus. There's James, the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, but Jesus' father is God. So it's James, the half-brother of Jesus. And then there's James and John. They're often called the sons of thunder. Um, and they are so important that they are in the inner three, Peter, James, and John. They're the three most important disciples when Jesus is on the earth. Everybody knows they've got special proximity to Jesus. In fact, many points, these three are arguing with each other which one of them is gonna be most important when Jesus comes into his kingdom. And it's that James that gets killed. He gets one line, verse two of chapter 12 of the book of Acts. And oh, by the way, James was killed with a sword. And why is that important? Because everything I'm about to teach you does not remove the fact that you are still in a battleground. You have an enemy and he hates you. He wants to steal, kill, destroy. And he'll do it through gossip or slander. He'll do it through judging, judgmentalism. He'll do it through any pain and suffering he can cause and if he can cause death, he will. Following after God does not mean that when you pray, everything you want to make your life good and happy and nice will work. What it means is God will be with you, he'll be listening to you, and he cares about you. But James willingly gave up his life to honor his Lord. That little verse does not negate the power of God. In James's mind, it only solidifies the power of God because when he raises the life on the other side, his father says, and he will be blessed in a special way. I don't even know exactly what that means. I just know it says it. Moving on to the next verse, verse three. When he, the he is Herod, King Herod, who was appointed by Rome to basically rule over the Hebrew people on behalf of Rome. So he was always trying to keep the Hebrew people happy and the Roman people happy. And that was hard to do because the Hebrew people did not like Rome and the Romans didn't necessarily love the Hebrew people. When he, Herod, saw that this, having James killed, met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So basically in this hierarchy, he's going, ooh, if killing James made the Jewish people happy, how much more so if I could take out Peter, I'll have everybody following me, and then Rome will be glad because the Jewish people will be happy and kind of settle down and stop making life hard for the Romans. So he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Twelve soldiers are guarding Peter. All right, some of you are still paying attention. I put out these little tests once in a while, and that's when I know I lost you, right? Everybody knows it was ten. Okay, Herod intended <laughs> to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So unleavened bread comes right before Passover. Passover's over. We're going to bring him out for a public trial, and this could be great for Herod. They're going, to, they're going to vote him guilty, and I'm going to look awesome because I finally squelched this Christian thing that's going on. But I want you to know this. Now, the entire church knows James was just killed. Big deal, really big deal. Now they got Peter. This is the beginning of the end for him. And instead of assuming like many of us do, well, if God wants to free Peter, God will free Peter. No, the church said, we don't know how prayer works. We don't know exactly what prayer does, but we know right now is a really good moment to pray. Look at verse five. So Peter 
was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church gathered together. We're going to find out they gathered together in a little home. I just kept going, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but save Peter, protect Peter, help Peter. They just killed James, God. Please, please, not Peter, please. History tells us, it's not in the Bible, but history tells us Peter was eventually killed for his faith. He was crucified upside down. They went to crucify him, and he said, I'm not fit. I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Lord. So they crucified him upside down, which would have been even worse. We don't know if that's actually what happened. It's just what history records happened. So we have good reason to think that's what happened, but it wasn't here. It wasn't because of this moment. So again, God answered their prayers, but it didn't ultimately change the end. It just prolonged it. So what happens next? Well, I'll do one, two, skip a few. You can check later and see how I do with the story. So Peter's put in prison until the time of the trial, and really the night before the trial was to occur, Peter is chained between two guards, most likely his hands and his feet, possibly chained to them and to the ground. To some extent, he doesn't have all of his clothing on. We don't know what that means. He could be stripped down to like his undergarment, which was not like underwear, but it was maybe their version of it, kind of like a, a towel or a rag to be wrapped around and keep him safe. We're not 100% sure. We just know he doesn't have all his clothes on. It's extremely uncomfortable and awkward, but Herod is not gonna let happen to Peter what happened to Jesus. Remember, they put Jesus in a tomb. They rolled this massive stone in front. They put Caesar's seal on it, and they put guards and soldiers around it, and yet he got out. Not on my watch. So he's got... 25 soldiers guarding him, 16 soldiers guarding him. He's chained down and he's chained to. And that night, while chained to the soldiers on each side of him, an angel of the Lord shows up and everybody is falling asleep, falling asleep. And it says, I love this, it says that the angel struck Peter on the side. I wonder what that looks like. Like, hey, Peter, like, what does struck him mean? Like, almost every English translation uses the word struck. It's something that's intended to get your attention. Peter, wake up. You gotta hurry. Get dressed. The chains fall off. Get dressed. Grab your clothes. Grab your stuff. Let's go. And he says, throw your cloak on. And they walk out past the first set of guards, past the second set of guards. They walk to the front gate, and the gate just opens for them. And it says, and the angel of the Lord led him down a street and then just disappeared like, okay, I'm done with you. You don't need me anymore. You're free. And it says, Peter thought he was seeing a vision, which is a whole fascinating thing I could spend some time on. But Peter had a vision once before, right before he took the gospel to Cornelius's house, Peter was doubting whether or not the gospel should even go to Gentiles. That's mostly people like me and you. He thought it was going to be primarily for the Jewish people because they were the people of God prophesied about the Messiah's coming to you to free you and your people. But God sent down in a vision a blanket from heaven with unclean foods on it as a very clear way to say to Peter, Peter, this was not just for the Jewish people. This is for all people anywhere willing to receive the message of the hope of Jesus Christ. So Peter had a vision once before and he thought to himself, oh, I must be having a vision. I don't know where this is going, where that angel go, what am I supposed to learn from this? And then out of nowhere, it dawns on him, oh, this isn't a vision, this just happened. It actually says all of that. He was astonished, oh, I better go, I better get out of here. Like, they're going to wake up and come find me. So, look what he had, does next, Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Pause for a second. John Mark is his technical name. Mark is how you know him. He wrote the book of Mark, to keep you from being confused, not confusing with the other John. That's like three James. It's like, apparently they didn't have very many names to pick from. But John Mark is that guy. He wrote the book of Mark, where many people had gathered, and what were they doing? So the church 
had been praying, was continuing to pray, and didn't know what God was going to do to answer the prayer. They just knew there's no resolution yet, God, so we need to keep praying. And I love this. Any great storyteller knows that sometimes in the midst of an intense moment, you have to insert a joke to bring levity to the intenseness of the story. That's exactly what Luke does here. Great storyteller. Notice verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda arrived to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. (laughs) So Peter's in prison. Everybody's gathered together praying for Peter, and Peter goes... Let me in. Who is it? It's Peter. It can't be Peter. He's in prison. No, listen, it's me. Remember that one time I walked on water? Yeah, that Peter, it's me. And she leaves him outside the door, locked out. And she runs back and tells everybody. And when she gets there, she goes, Peter's at the door. And they go, no, he's not. He's in prison. She goes, no, I promise. Peter's at the door. And they're thinking, well, Peter's at the door. Why didn't you let him in? And they argue back and forth. And she finally is like, no, I promise. They actually go, it can't be Peter. It must be his angel which could mean one of two things. It could open up a whole can of worms we don't have time for today. It could mean either, number one, there is such a thing as guardian angels. Most likely, they think Peter's dead. Most likely, they think he died and that maybe his spirit has showed up to tell them, hey guys, I'm gonna go be with Jesus now. Either way, we don't know what it means. It means this. They have doubts just like you. See, they believed in the power of prayer enough to earnestly pray over and over. Verse 5 and verse 12 go out of their way to let you know they are a people of prayer. But you know what that little thing tells you? They're not so sure it'll work. And when I read passages like that, you know what that does for me? It encourages me that even in my doubt, keep praying. Because God doesn't need me to have perfect faith. He just needs me to have enough faith to trust him. And the church, because they prayed, God acted. See, I think what we do is we play a game with God when it comes to prayer. And we say, well, God is sovereign. Jesus even tells us God knows everything I need before I even ask him. So why do I need to ask him? What would have happened had the church not prayed for Peter? Would God have set him free? Well, do you know the answer to that? I don't. I know that James got killed with a sword. I know that when they prayed for Peter, Peter Peter was set free. What might change in your life and your family's life if you were to believe that there was a God who was so in tune with your life and he loves you so much that he's listening every moment of every day and even when you don't have perfect faith, you've got a broken faith, but it's just enough faith for him to tune in and say, you know what? I can do that. Not only can I do it, but I will. See, prayer is the intersection between our ability, I should say that different, our inability and God's ability. i say that again. Prayer is the intersection between our inability God's ability, that very moment where we say, I don't have the wisdom, the strength, the power to get this done. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how to fix it. I've thrown everything I can at this thing, and it's just not changing. See, what happens is when we try to fix 
all of spiritual problems in our flesh, you know what happens? Everybody else around us feels manipulated. Everybody else feels like we're trying to control them and maneuver them and manipulate them. That's how people feel. But when we get to that point where we say, you know what, God, I don't have all the answers, but I know this, you do. Because see, in prayer, when we come to God, we're trusting that he's going to do what he knows in his wisdom, what is best. But he says, ask me. There's a whole bunch of unlocked prayers that I want to answer and solve and fix for you. But you won't ask me for wisdom. You won't ask me to give. You won't knock on my door. And when you do, your heart's not in the right place. Get your heart right with me and let me do amazing things through you. Because when your ability ends, God's ability begins. I wonder if a large church in Avon were to really knock on heaven's door and say, God, help. There's over 200 kids in foster care in Hendricks County, and they don't have a home. We could solve this, God. Help us. God, there's a large number of suburban homelessness in Hendricks County. They're living in somebody else's basement, a garage, a car. God, what happens to kids when they go to school and they're worried about where they're gonna eat or sleep next? They don't think about education. God, we could solve this. What would happen if there were a church who said, you know what, God, there are thousands and thousands of people in Plainfield and in Danville and in Brownsburg even in Indianapolis, just east of us. They don't know you. What would happen if an entire church gathered together and said, God, use me. Use my resources. God, send me. But God, don't just let me sit and watch church happen. God, don't just let me hear about it. God, let me experience it, to be it, to do it. See, what most of us do is we doubt to the point where we don't pray. Sometimes, it's our own fear that he might move us. God, would you solve this foster care problem in Hendricks County? Just use every other family but mine to do it, Father. See how that works? So the alternative is, well, then I just won't ask. I won't ask God to move because I'm afraid he'll move me because that would be so bad. Oh, we got some conviction going on, huh? But what if? What if God wanted to answer prayers? So there's a, I'm gonna be very vague here on purpose. There's a, there's a gentleman in my life that uh, I've been praying would come to meet Jesus. But I could challenge you guys a couple weeks ago to really intercede for somebody. So instead of just praying periodically for them to meet Jesus, I started praying every morning and every night for them to meet Jesus. And they're not there yet. Someday I look forward to being in that baptistry and going, this is the dude. But I'll tell you this, the week, that week that we talked about intercession, I was praying so regularly, faithfully with my family and, and on my own. That very week, he went to another friend of mine and said, hey, I got a question about God. Now, it wasn't the final piece, but it was the next piece. And I go, did that happen, God? Because I was so intentional that for a week the light bust through the darkness and just shined brightly in his heart and what would happen in heaven on earth if we were to do that every day I'll tell you what I don't know about you I want to be a part of a church like that I want to be a part of a praying church
If you'd like to join me in being a part of that praying church, I'm going to ask for you to stand right now. I'm going to ask for our elders and our executive team to come out on stage. I'm going to ask for the worship team to come out on stage. And while they're all making their way up here, we're going to do something that very few churches do today. And if you're visiting with us today, we're just going to acknowledge before you right now, this may be uncomfortable. And you could just sit. You have a free get out of jail card that you could just watch us do it and say, okay, I'm not sure what I think yet, but we'll keep watching. All right? So no pressure. You do not have to do this. But if you're one of those people who stand and say, I want to be a part of a church like that, this is all of us together saying, this is us. And the reason I'm bringing up the executive team and the elders and the worship team is because we've got some people up here getting paid to be good, and we've got some people up here who are good for nothing. <laughs> that joke never gets old to me. I've been using that for years. In all seriousness, these elders up here, they give more hours than you will probably ever know unless you're married to them, and um, they love you, and that's why they do, and they love their God. Our worship team up here, they're up here every Wednesday night. Sunday morning, worshiping with you, practicing, rehearsing at home because they love you and they love their God. And many of you are doing the same thing in kids' ministries and in parking lot ministries and communions and all kinds of other things. It takes all of us together praying and seeking God to make the church be the church. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what's called a responsive reading. I'm the reader. You're the congregation. I'll read the first part. If you're in with us, I just want you to read the second part. And realize this is not just a statement. This is a prayer to our heavenly Father together. Here we go. Jesus, help us become more like you. Help us to know how much you have loved us and given to us and change us to look more like you on a daily basis. We will be a people committed to celebrating who God is and what he has done for us. God, help us to pursue you wholeheartedly and to love others the same way you have sacrificially and unconditionally loved us. We will be a people committed to true community with one another and making our lives more about others than about ourselves. Jesus, teach us to live out what we believe and share your love, hope, and grace to those who need to know you. We will be a people committed to showing compassion to our world by loving them how you love them and serving them how you served them. And we ask all of this, Father, in Jesus' name and all God's people pray. Amen. Father, make us a people like your son. Use us. Move in us. Open our mouths to pray, not little prayers, bold prayers, setting Peter free in a possible situation kind of prayers. God, help us not to just be a people of prayer for 30 days when the pastor says pray for 30 days, but to be a people of prayer who begin and end every day with this focus on heaven. Bring heaven to earth through us, Father. We love you. Go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week, and God bless you.